0: Do the second part of the introduction Into this book al aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah And today's part of the introduction Is regarding the biographies Of the author himself Al-Imam al tahawi Al-Hanafi And also of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa himself A brief biography Of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa Rahimahullah Ta'ala himself, and then a brief biography of the author of the book, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala also. To begin with then, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he was Al-Nu'man, the son of Athabit Ibn Zutay, النعمان ابن ثابت ابن زوطي الخزاز الكوفي That was his name in brief. His name was actually النعمان, the son of ثابت, أبو حنيفة. أجمعت مصادر ترجمته على ذلك ولم تختلف إلا ما رواه الصيمري عَنْ Ismail إِبْنِ حَمَّادِ حَيْثُ قَالْ أَنَا ibn إِبْنُ النُعْمَانِ إِبْنُ ثَابِتِ إِبْنُ النُعْمَانِ إِبْنُ الْمَرْزَبَانِ Many of the people who have done the biographies of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, they have all mentioned that his name is An-Nu'man ibn Thabit. And there is hardly any difference in that. You may have the odd statement here or there, for example, in this variation where it says It was Ismail, the son of a numan ibn Thabit But what is established from the biographies as a whole Is that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa His name was An-Nu'man ibn Thabit And his lineage It is associated to Al-Khazaz And as for his birth, wulida al-Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah sanata 80 min al-Hijra bil-Kufa. He was born in the year 80 Hijri in Kufa fi khilafat Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. In the khilafa of Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. And there are some sources that say he may have been born Wulida Sana Ihda in the year sixty one Hijri. However, what is common and understood is that he was born in the year eighty hijri. Wulid al Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah Kufa waqada sanawat Umri Hil Ula Fiha. Al Imam Abu Hanifa was born in Kufa. And the early years of his life, he spent in Kufa. The early years of his life, he spent there. And in the books of biographies, it mentions, أنه اشتغل في مبدأ أمره تاجرا في الخز. وله الدكان معروف دار عمر بن الحريث. وأنه كان أمينا في تجارته لا يغش. وَلَا يخدع أَحَدًا حَتَّى أَصْبَحَ عَرِيفًا عَلَى بِدَارِ الْخَزَّازِينَ It's mentioned in his biography that in his early days, he was a trader who had uh, a shop, and, though, and so that is what he used to engage in in the early days. That is mentioned in some of his uh, biographies that are written down by some of the sources in their books. As for his characteristics, the characteristics of Al Imam Abu Hanifa, الإمام al Imam Abu Hanifa Rahimahullah Fasihul. It is mentioned that he was very eloquent. He was able to speak very well. He was Fasihul, excellent in his Arabic and his speaking and his speech. And he was very sharp and very clever in his logic when he used to talk. He was from the best of the people in terms of his logic and rationale and how he used to put the points across the people. وَأَحْلَاهُمْ نَغْمَةً وأنبههم على ما يريد وكان جميلًا تعلوه <laughs> Physically, it is mentioned that Abu Hanifa had a, a very good appearance, a beautiful appearance, handsome appearance, and that his skin color was a shade of brown, had a skin color on the shade of brown, uh, and that he was uh, very uh, handsome looking in his appearance. نَظِيفُ <laughs> الْمَلْبَسِ his garments and his clothes were always clean. طيب الرائحة, He always smelt very nice with the good fragrances on. حَتَّى إِنَّهُ يُعْرَفُ الطِّيبِ إِذَا أَقْبَلَ اَوْ إِذَا خَرَجَ مِنْ مَنْزِلِهِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يرار. It is even mentioned that when Al-Imam Abu Hanifa used to come out of his door even before he came out from a distance, people would recognize it's him coming from the Fragrance that they would already catch So in terms of him himself It's mentioned he was therefore smart and good looking in his appearance And clean clothes and nice smell And he had this good appearance Al-Imam Abu Hanifa وَصَفَهُ تِلْمِيذُهُ Abu Yusuf Abu Yusuf, one of the famous students of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa He described Al-Imam Abu Hanifa and said, كان أبو Hanifa ربعا من الرجال ليس بالقصير ولا بالطويل. Abu Hanifa was medium height. He wasn't too tall and he wasn't too short. His student says, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was of a medium build, a medium height. وكان أحسن الناس منطقا وأحلاهم نغمتا وأنبههم أعلى ما يريد. وَوَصَفَهُ عُمَرِ بْنُ حَمَّادِ عُمَرِ بْنُ حَمَّادِ described an imam abu hanifa and said إِنَّ حنيفة كَانَ طِوَالًا that he was tall not too tall as we saw in the other description but he was of good medium to high build تَعَلُوهُ that he had this brown complexion وَكَانَ لَبِسًا حُسْنُ الهيئة. And he used to wear the good garments, and his appearance was always nice and clean. كَثِيرُ التَّعَطَّرُ And always had a lot of fragrance on. That the people used to recognize it was Abu Hanifa coming from the smell of that beautiful fragrance, even before they saw him actually with their eyes. Also, from the descriptions that are given of him, Tilmidhu Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, the famous Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak says, Kana حسن السمت husnul wajh, حسن, الوجه, حسن الثوء. That he was good in his, his speech and his quietness and how he used to behave in that mannerism of quietness and not being overly talkative etc and also he was very good in his appearance physically and also with his clothes so you can see all of the descriptions of Imam Abu Hanifa are saying that he used to be a man who was very neat and tidy of good appearance good garments clean always putting fragrance on that he had this good appearance at Imam Abu Hanifa. Abu Nu'aym al-Fadl ibn dukain another one of the famous uh, ones from the Salaf, he says, كان أبو حنيفة حسن الوجه والثوب والنعل. That Abu Hanifa, Abu Hanifa had a good appearance, his face, his garments, his shoes even. وَكَثِيرُ البر وَالْمُؤَاسَاتِ لِكُلِّ مَنْ أَطَافَ بِهِ <coughs> so his appearance in all aspects, his face, physically, his clothes, even his shoes, they were all upon that good appearance and good look. أن الأمام أن الإمام also in the biographies they mention that Imam Abu Hanifa was very nice and polite with the people that he used to sit with. He was very generous, kind, polite, and good manners with the people that he used to sit with. (coughs) As for his moral characteristics, those were more like his physical characteristics. As for his moral characteristics, his behavior... It's mentioned he was Warian taqiyan, that he was a person of great modesty and practising of the religion. Very humble and modest and, and practising the religion properly. Practising Islam, having taqwa of Allah, staying away from the Haram, that he was a very humble and practising person. Shadid Dabi and Maharimilla and Tutta. That he was very defensive of staying away from the haram things. Very careful about that in staying away from the haram. Zahidan. Zahidan. He had zuhid that he wouldn't go after the excessive things of this world. That he only took what was required in humbleness and modesty. During his lifetime, the riches of the world came to him. But he wasn't interested in the riches and the wealth and those affairs of this world. Also, it is mentioned that an Imam Abu Hanifa during his lifetime <coughs> was given... Positions of authority, but he didn't take them. He was given positions of authority. He was given jobs and roles of stature, of high position and rank, but he didn't take them. It's mentioned, أَرْسَلَنِي يَزِيدِ بِنْ عُمَرِ بِنْ فَقَدِمْتُ بِأَبِي عَلَيْهِ فَأَرَادَهُ عَلَى بَيْتِ الْمَالِ that it mentions here, Al-Rabi'i ibn Asim says, that Yazid ibn Umar told me to bring Abu Hanifa to him. So I brought Abu Hanifa, I got Abu Hanifa and I came with him. They wanted Abu Hanifa to be in charge of Baytul Mal. Baytul Mal, the Muslim treasury. You could call it the Muslim treasury. All of the finances and the money. They wanted Abu Hanifa to be in charge of all of that. Trustworthy individual, uh, a person of taqwa. They wanted him in charge of the Muslim treasury. Yet he refused. He didn't want to take that position, didn't want to take that role and have that high-ranking position to be in charge of the Muslim uh, uh, treasury. So he refused and he refused, and it even mentions in his biography, that they wanted him, and they, they were forcing him, telling him, you've got to do it, and they even hit him. He said, you take the role, you be in charge of the finance. But he wouldn't take it. And then there is some other narrations also, that he was given the role of being the judge, to be the judge of Kufa, etc., and that he would not want these positions, and he refused these types of positions. So, Ali Imam Abu Hanifa, it's mentioned, was a person of great modesty and humbleness, And didn't care about these high positions and high ranks and high roles and to be in power, that he wasn't interested in these types of things of the world. (laughs) And maybe Abu Hanifa refused these positions and these roles. Perhaps it was because خَوْفُهُ من الله, His fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that maybe he may not do justice to this great responsibility, etc. So maybe that was the reason he didn't take it. أو oh, أَنْ يَجُورَ فِي حُكْم مِنَ الْحْكَامِ تعرض uh, Or because maybe he feared when he had that position he may rule or judge in a manner that was not accurate and make errors in that role. So he didn't want to take those types of positions. Also from his characteristics, كَانَ كَرِيمًا جَوَادًا سَخِيًّا بِمَالِهِ He was very generous and very kind with his money that he used to give. He used to give with his money and give in charity. He was very generous with his money. And Imam Abu Hanifa... ينفقوا عَلَى, العلماء مثلما كان ينفقوا على عياله. Just like he used to spend upon his own family, he would spend upon the people of knowledge, the righteous people of knowledge, people who are uh, scholars, and if they were in need, he would spend upon those righteous people, just like he would spend upon his own family. It's mentioned that when he used to buy clothes and food for his family, he would also buy some for the other scholars and people of knowledge and people of Taqwa. He would go and buy them these things also. So he was very generous with what he had from his money in upon his family, upon the scholars and upon the people. Also, from the characteristics of imam Abu Hanifa, كان أبو Hanifa يصبر على من يعلمه. وإن كان فقيرا أغناه. وأجزل عليه وعلى عياله حتى يتعلم. فإذا تعلم قال له, قد وصلت إلى الغنى الأكبر بمعرفة الحلال والحرام. That he used to be very patient with the people he was teaching. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa used to be very patient with the people he was teaching. And even if those people were poor, he used to help them and spend upon them so they could carry on seeking knowledge and they could carry on attending the classes. He would give them if it was required. And then at the end, when they'd done a fair amount of studying, he would say to them, now your poverty is no longer poverty even though they were still in poverty. But he would say to them, now you're not in poverty anymore, because now you have learned about the halal and the haram, you've learnt about the Quran and the sunnah, all of that makes you rich. That knowledge is richness for you. You're not in poverty anymore, now that you've gained this knowledge. So this is how he used to be with his students. So it's mentioned generally that he had very good characteristics, and he had very good behavior with his students. And very good uh, mannerisms with uh, his students and his family and the other scholars. As for his death. توفيا رحمه الله Min النصف من شعبان سنة خمسين ومئة من الهجرة. He died in the year one hundred and fifty from the Hijrah. He was born in the year 80 Hijrah, 80 Hijri, which means he was born how many years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ? How many years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ was Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa born? Roughly 70. Roughly 70 years after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam died, Abu Hanifa was born. He died in 150 Hijri, so that's approximately 140 years after the death of the Prophet. So you can see, Al Imam Abu Hanifa was very close to that time period. Only 70 years after the death of the Prophet, he was born. 70 years only. In 70 years, it's not even barely a generation. A person may be alive then and alive now. 70, 80 years old. Only a very small time span. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was born in those early days. That's why some scholars even say that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, <coughs> he may have met some of the actual companions of the Prophet Wasallam because there were many companions alive at the time when he was born. He was born in the year 80 Hijri, the last companion to die, died in the year 110 Hijri. The last companion to die from all of them was in the year 110 Hijri. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was born in the year 80 Hijri. So for the first 30 years of his life up until the age of 30, companions were alive and they existed, they were still there. So he would have been, even if you exclude the first 10 or 15 years when he was young, even from the age of 15 to the age of 30, now he's a man, 15 years at least, he was alive and uh, seeking knowledge and these affairs and companions were there. So some scholars said maybe he met some of the companions. Maybe he actually physically met some of the companions. Other scholars, they say it's not proven that he actually met any of the companions directly, but even so, even so, regardless, we can say for one thing, that Abu Hanifa was from those early Imams. From the early Imams. In fact, from the four Imams, the four famous Imams, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam... Who's the next one? Al-Imam Malik, then the next one is? Al-Imam Shafi'i, and then Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. So Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was the oldest one from them all. Then it was Al-Imam Malik, the next oldest, then Al-Imam Shafi'i, then Al-Imam Ahmed. So Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, you can see he was from those early times, from the early Imams. So no doubt he was from the uh, early times and from the early Imams, born in the year 80 and died in the year 150. It's mentioned that he was buried in Baghdad. He was born in Kufa. Kufa is in Iraq as well. And he was buried in Baghdad. Buried in Baghdad. That's where Imam Abu Hanifa was buried. It is said that regrettably, the people they built on top of his grave, a shrine. And that to this day it is known where that shrine of Al Imam Abu Hanifa is. Of course, it is haram to do that. Al Imam Abu Hanifa would not have approved of that. And the Sunnah does not approve of that. But they built something on top of his grave, like a shrine type of thing. Uh, There's a type of uh, like a dome thing they've built on top of the grave uh, وَإِلَىٰ جَنْبِهِ جَامِعِ تُقَامْ فيه الجمعة وَالْجَمَاعَةِ and uh, that burial ground actually is very close to a mosque there in Baghdad there is a mosque very close by where they have their prayers and everything and just next to it is where this burial uh, area is and where Imam Abu Hanifa is buried and they've made something on top of it which we know is not permissible and not correct, and that is not the teachings of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, nor is it the teachings of any of the Salaf or the Prophet ﷺ, but the people, they do these things, which is a mistake and an error. So, he was buried in Baghdad, died in the year 150. What can we say about the knowledge level of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa? We can say that like we said already, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was alive at the time of the Sahaba. Companions of the Prophet ﷺ were alive when Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was alive at the same time. For example, people like Anas ibn Malik. Anas ibn Malik anhu, he died late on. So he was alive at the time when Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was alive. Or rather, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was alive at the time when Anas ibn Malik was still alive. Abdullah ibn Abi Awfa, another example. However, as we said, it is not proven that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa took knowledge directly from companions, that he went and sat with companions, that is not proven. Uh, So, at the younger age, like we said, at the younger age, he was preoccupied with some of this business that he had and this shop that he had. In the younger days, he was preoccupied with those types of things. But then, as he grew older, as he grew older, then of course he started to realize regarding the affairs of knowledge and started seeking that knowledge. (coughs) And so, when he began to seek this knowledge, one of the things that is mentioned And this is one of the main differences between Al-Imam Abu Hanifa and the other three. Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. One of the biggest differences is that at the time in Kufa, where Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was born, in the year 80 Hijri, at that time it was not known, Kufa, that place, that area, was not known to be full of companions with chains of narration and hadith. There were many places known to be full of companions who had lots of hadith that they heard from the Prophet ﷺ who they used to narrate to people. But Kufa was not recognized as one of those places. It wasn't one of those places where many of the companions were and they were narrating hadith they'd heard from the Prophet ﷺ. Actually at that time Kufa had very limited amounts of hadith being narrated by people as opposed to al-Imam Malik, al-Imam Shafi'i, al-Imam Ahmad, in the times when they were born and in the places where they were born, and where they sought knowledge, hadith was widespread. Many people were narrating hadith. Many people had chains of narration. And so they had a greater access to hadith and chains of narration. Whereas al-Imam Abu Hanifa, because of that environment, the way it turned out, There weren't many chains of narration and hadith And scholars narrating hadith It didn't exist that much Just the way it was at that time, at that place So Imam Abu Hanifa had a restricted Amount of those chains of narration and those hadith Whereas the other three had a lot more That's why when you look at the four madhabs, Which one is more different to the other three? It is the Hanafi Madhab, which is more different to the other three. Whereas Maliki, Shafi'i, and Hanbali, a lot of the things, they are very similar. But the Hanafi Madhab in a lot of the things is actually very different. And this is one of the reasons. Because at that time, when Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was born, that area was not an area where they used to come and narrate a lot of hadith. Whereas Al-Imam Malik, Shafi'i, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, they were in areas where there were lots of hadith. So their madhabs were based a lot more on actual hadith and texts that they had available. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa had a much more restricted amount of a hadith and chains of narration. Therefore, you notice in the Hanafi madhab of, of thinking and the ways of working out the evidences, it's a lot more having to derive things and infer things and come to conclusions about things a lot more of that is required, because they had much less narrations. So they had to work with what they had. So working with what they had required a lot more thought to be able to bring out rulings and to bring out uh, understandings. It required a lot more thought and rationale going into things. Hence the conclusions they came to often differed a lot more to what Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad came to their conclusions were a lot different, because they didn't require as much of this uh, inferring and deducing and taking out rulings from a limited amount of texts. They didn't have a limited amount, they had a huge amount. So for them it was simple, hadith says this, this hadith says that, this hadith says that, and they could make their rulings very easily because they had a lot more access to these different narrations. So that is one of the reasons why you notice That the Hanafi Madhab, it has a lot more of derivation and inferences with narrations and texts and rationale being required. Because they had a limited amount and they had to work with what they had. Whereas the others had a lot more. So that is one of the things mentioned about the environment that Imam Abu Hanifa grew up in. That it was not an environment of hadith. That was limited, it just so happened at that time at that place Kufa. Who were his scholars though that he learned from? We said that he was alive at the time of the companions, but it's not necessarily proven that he took knowledge from them. لكنه لم يجد في حال نشأته من يرشده لطلب العلم. والأخذ عن كان يمكنه السماع ممن أدرك منهم. فاشتغل بالبيع والشراء إلى أن قيض الله تعالى له الإمام الشعبي. فنبهه وحثه على الاشتغال بالعلم. So, in his early days, like we said, nobody really pushed him to seeking knowledge and, and learning from his very younger days. He didn't have that push to do those things from his environment. So, he got involved with his shop and those types of things. But then afterwards, an Imam al one of the great Imams of that time, he encouraged Al-Imam Abu Hanifa then to get involved with knowledge and start seeking, etc. And so that's when Al-Imam Abu Hanifa started to seek all of this knowledge. And when you look at the Mashaykh that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa learned from, you will see a whole list of the names from the people who were from the Salaf. A whole list of names from the people of the Salaf. Muhammad ibn al munkadir Ismail ibn Abdul Malik, Ibn Abi saghirat Wa Ibn al there's a whole list, Hamad Ibn Abi Suleyman, Khalid Ibn Al-Qamah, Ibn Abi Abdurrahman, many from the Salaf of that time, that he took his knowledge from. And these are famous ones, Simak Ibn Harb, another famous Salaf. When you look at Hadith now, when you look at Hadith, you see many of these in the chains of narration. Many of these were narrators of Hadith. Many of them had chains of narration. But, as we said, his contact with many of the mashaykh of hadith was limited at the time, even though there were obviously mashaykh from his scholars who had those chains of narrations and narrations. So he took from a great number of these scholars of that time. The most famous ones, you could say, Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman, one of the famous uh, scholars of that time. You could say, Zayd, ibn Ali ibn al-Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib So that is then who Zayd the son of Ali the son of al-Hussein the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib the great grandson of Ali ibn Abi Talib that was one of the scholars of al-Imam Abu Hanifa took knowledge from Zayd who was the grandson of al-Hussein who was the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib Also from the famous Salaf, you'll hear these names everywhere, Ata ibn Abi Rabah, another one of the famous Salaf. Adi ibn Thabit, again you'll hear this name a lot when you look into the books of the Salaf, Adi ibn Thabit. So you have a lot, Qatada ibn Di'ama, one of the most famous. Qatada ibn Di'ama, you'll see him in the chains of narration in hadith everywhere as well. Qatada ibn Di'ama, Qais ibn Muslim, uh, and also Muhammad, the son of Ali, the son of al Hussein the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Another one of the great grandsons of Ali ibn Abi Talib. So you can see that his scholars, they were famous scholars that he took knowledge from. Who were his students? Who were the students of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa? Again, they were many. أَخَذَ الْعِلْمُ عَنِ الْإِمَامَ كَثِيرُونَ مِنْ wa Many of the scholars that became known as scholars afterwards, they took knowledge from Imam Abu Hanifa. And again, there's a big list of them. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll skip the list. There's almost two two pages worth of names here of all of his students. Many, many students that they had. From the most famous ones, Jarir ibn Abd al-Hamid, Al-Hasan ibn Ziyad, Hafs ibn Ghayyath, that is one of the most famous. Hafs ibn Ghayyath, very famous, you'll see his name everywhere. Hammad ibn Abi Hanifa, Hammad ibn Abi Hanifa, who's that? His own son. His own son was one of his main students. Hamad. his name was Hamad the son of Abu Hanifa. So his own son was one of the uh, main students who learned from al-Imam Abu Hanifa. You have, of course, Muhammad ibn al-Hasan al-Shaybani. And that name, remember it, because it's going to come as soon as we start the first line of al-Aqidah al-Tahawiyya. Muhammad ibn al-Hasan al-Shaybani. One of the famous students of Al Imam Abu Hanifa. Also, another one of the most famous students, Yaqub ibn Ibrahim, known as Abu Yusuf, famous student of Al Imam Abu Hanifa, and he was a judge. So, these are some of the great students of Al Imam Abu Hanifa. In terms of the, the knowledge that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa had, Arad Allahu Bil Imam Khayran. Allah wanted goodness for Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. So Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, he left the speech and the way of the people of Kalam. This is something which existed in those times. What you may basically call philosophers. There were people who were philosophers. So when it came to uh, understanding who Allah is, those philosophers were using their philosophy in trying to understand the names and attributes of Allah. And they had all types of philosophy that they would use, all taken from the olden days, from the Greeks and those types of people. So many of that type of philosophical people existed. However, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa didn't get involved and become like them. He didn't become one of these philosophical types of people talking about names and attributes like the people of deviation. He did not become like that. Allah wanted goodness for Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. So he learned the knowledge from those famous Mashaykh upon the correct way of the Quran and the Sunnah. بِالْعُلَمَاءَ مِن مُحَدِّثِينَ وفقها so he connected with the scholars, famous scholars of hadith and fiqh, and he started learning from them, from those famous scholars. من أجل ذلك نرى الإمام يجيب الخليفة العباسي المنصور لما سأله يا نعمان عن من العلم قال عن أصحاب عمر عن عمر وعن أصحاب علي عن علي وعن أصحاب عبد الله بن عبد عن عبد الله وما كان في وقت ابن عباس على وجه الارض اعلم منه قال لقد استوفقت لنفسك 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 he was asked al imam abu hanifa was asked where did you take your knowledge from and so he quoted he said from the companions of umar from umar and from ali from ali and from abdullah from abdullah وما كان في وقت ابن عباس على وجه الارض اعلم منه and there was nobody more knowledgeable than Ibn Abbas at those earlier times. So he said, I took the knowledge from the companions of Ibn Abbas, indicating that the knowledge came from the true and correct source. In one narration he says, I took knowledge from Hamad, from Ibrahim, from Umar ibn al-Khattab and Ali ibn Abi Talib. That was his connection. He took from Hamad, Who studied from Ibrahim, who studied from Umar ibn Khattab and Ali ibn Abi Talib. So he had great scholars upon the way of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And that's why other scholars like Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, they made statements like, Abu Hanifa, afqahu nas Al-Imam Abu Hanifa is the most knowledgeable of the people in the fiqh, in the understanding. So you get a lot of this praise from the scholars regarding Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. As for hadith, then like we've said before, the level of knowledge regarding hadith was limited at that time, was limited at that time. اشتغل الإمام أبو حنيفة بطلب العلم أو بطلب علم الحديث بعد سنة Lil للهجرة. He started seeking knowledge of hadith after the year 100 Hijri. So by now how old was he? In his 20s. He got into his twenties when he started seeking knowledge of hadith. He was into his twenties by that time. For al hadith, Michioch, Ajilla, Kathirina, Takadam, Adikroba Adim or Tahlafisabili, like Wamaha, for who a mukillun ferryway at a hadith, while Allah suburb, Fida, get a shadudi hi ferrywaya for who a liar rewaya illa limaniah prob, Kaleb Nusala, shadda da com and ferrywaya for Afrapo, what a sahala fiha aruna for her Another one of the reasons why Al-Imam Abu Hanifa didn't have that many hadith and narrations that he narrated, whereas Al-Imam Malik and shafi Ahmad, they have thousands and thousands that they narrated. But Al-Imam Abu Hanifa didn't narrate that many hadith. One of the reasons as well, on top of the fact that it wasn't that widespread in the area at the time anyway, Another reason was that an Imam Abu Hanifa was very strict on his condition of narrating hadith. He would say that I will only narrate the hadith from somebody who has absolutely memorized it from their memory, they can tell me. We know many of the scholars of hadith used to narrate not from memory, but from what they had written down as well. But they used to be very strict. In fact, many of the scholars said Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was too strict about hadith. And as a consequence, he had to leave many hadith because he felt those narrations weren't up to standard. And in reality, they were. All the other scholars of hadith, when they saw them and they checked them, they were. But Al-Imam Abu Hanifa took it a level higher, so strict, as a consequence, he had to excuse a lot of the narrations. So maybe that is another one of the reasons why he did not have the access to as many hadith. وذكر other سببا اخر وهو الامام من الْأَدِلَّةِ يقول ان عنه عن باستنباط المسائل من reason is perhaps that he was very much involved in looking at issues and deriving rulings and working out the rulings of fiqh. He was so busy with doing that with the narrations he had that he didn't get involved in going and getting other narrations of hadith and chains of narration and getting involved with the muhaddithin like that. Because he was so engrossed in the issues of fiqh and rulings of fiqh that he didn't get involved as much in hadith and chains of narration. That is another possibility. So the point there is, as we said, that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, he had very few chains of narration and hadith, compared to Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Ahmed, and maybe that is one of the reasons why the Hanafi madhab differs quite a lot from the methods of the other three. Even though you notice, that doesn't mean that the Hanafi madhab is wrong, doesn't mean that many parts of the Hanafi madhab, you know, al Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, in many of the issues, many issues, he picks which madhab? Hanifi. The Hanafi madhab. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. You go to all of these Hanafis now, they say Shaykh al-Islam this and Shaykh al-Islam that. And they don't even know that Sheikh al-Islam actually, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah actually, in many issues, preferred the Hanafi madhab. You look at the books of Sheikh al-Islam, he says this issue of fiqh, al-Imam Abu Hanifa, correct. This issue of fiqh, I choose the opinion of the Hanafis, many times, many times. So the madhab of the Hanafi madhab doesn't mean it's wrong. All of the four madhab have things which are correct and they have things which are incorrect. Nobody is going to say that any one of the four madhabs is 100% accurate. Al-Imam Ahmad had some things that may not be quite accurate. Al-Imam Malik had some things that may not be quite accurate in some parts. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i, maybe some parts. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, some parts. That's why you can't just blindly follow one madhab. That's why all of the four imams themselves said that if you ever find any hadith which goes against what I've said in my madhab, then forget about what I've said in my madhab, follow the hadith. If you see a hadith now, and it goes against what the madhab says, what do you do? Follow the hadith? Follow the Prophet salam Or say, no, I'm going to stick to my madhab anyway? How can you do that? What are you going to say on the Day of Judgment? On the Day of Judgment, when it is said to you, so you heard about this hadith from the Prophet Wasallam, authentic hadith, which says do X, Y, and Z, but you ignored it, and you said, I'm going to stick to my madhab, which says do something else. How are you going to prove yourself on the Day of Judgment, and what are you going to say? So it's not about blind following. We don't blind follow any madhab. All of the madhahib, they have good things, they have some mistakes, they have some good. But you'd follow only the Prophet ﷺ, absolutely. The Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba, you follow the madhahib, but where you see that there is some error and the sunnah says something else clearly, then you don't blindly carry on following the madhhab in that, then you follow the sunnah. So here, we can see from this brief biography, that Imam Abu Hanifa was a great alim. And he was a great man, and he was somebody who was practicing of the sunnah of the Qur'an. Even when it came to the innovators, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was strict on the innovators. He was strict on the innovators and the narrations of the innovators. So these are all some of the basics uh, regarding Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Sheikh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah said about him Sheikh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah said about Al-Imam Abu Hanifa he said inna Abu Hanifa wa in kana al-nas khalafuhu fi ashya' wa ankaruha alay fa la yastareeb ahad fi fiqhihi wa fahmihi wa 'ilmihi Look at what Ibn Taymiyyah said about Al-Imam Abu Hanifa He said Al-Imam Abu Hanifa Abu Hanifa even if people have gone against him in some things and people have rejected some of the statements of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. He says even though people have opposed Al-Imam Abu Hanifa and rejected some of the things that he said and not accepted them, he said, you can't deny, you can't deny, there's no doubt about the level of fiqh and understanding and knowledge Al-Imam Abu Hanifa had. Even some things people might not accept from him, no problem. He says, you can't deny, though, how much knowledge and understanding, how much knowledge, understanding, comprehension, and uh, the, the level of ability Al Imam Abu Hanifa had. So he's praising him. He's saying, okay, no problem, people they opposed him in some things, but he was certainly a man of great knowledge. That is the statement of Ibn Taymiyyah about him. What about Al Imam Abu Dawood? You know, Sunan Nabi Dawood. What did Al-Imam Abu Dawood say about Al-Imam Abu Hanifa? Al-Imam Abu Dawood said, Rahimallahu <laughs> Malikan kana Rahim Rahimallahu Shafi'i kana Rahim Rahimallahu Aba Hanifa kana imama." He said, may Allah have mercy upon Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Indeed, he was an imam al Imam Abu Dawood said that al Imam Abu Hanifa was indeed an Imam. May Allah have mercy upon him. What about Ahmad ibn Hanbal, one of the other four madhabs? What did Ahmad ibn Hanbal say about al Imam Abu Hanifa? He said, "He was from the knowledge and the learning and the zeal and the enthusiasm of the world. And he was struck with the whip for being able Ja'far al Mansur, and he did he said, Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal said, that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, when it comes to modesty and humbleness, and uh, not bothering with the luxuries of the world, and giving priority to the hereafter over anything in this world, when it comes to those things, he says Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was at, a, he was at a position, meaning that he was somebody very high upon that. He didn't care about this world. He was only caring about the hereafter. He didn't care about position and, and rank. He was only worried about the hereafter. Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal praises Al-Imam Abu Hanifa by saying this. Then he goes on to mention that story. Ahmad ibn Hanbal says, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was even beaten to, be, to take the positions and the roles, but he refused. So may the mercy of Allah be upon him. rahmatullahi Look at how the scholars of the Sunnah are praising al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Uh, Ahmad ibn Hanbal Abu Dawood, praising al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. Also al-Imam al-Dhahabi. You may have heard of al-Imam al-Dhahabi. He said, كان Abu Hanifa was an imam. but That he was somebody very precocious with his religion and very humble with his religion and very had much uh, much taqwa regarding his religion aliman he was a great scholar muta'abbidan kabir a great worshipper of allah worshiping allah upon obedience and practicing the religion la yaqbalu is al-sultan he said al-imam abu hanifa never used to accept gifts from the rulers All of the scholars are saying this about him. He wasn't bothered about gifts and prizes and position and rank and money at all. Never had any care for those types of things. So look at how the scholars of the Sunnah, famous scholars are praising him. Famous scholars praising Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa wrote some books too. He wrote some books. Some of the books that he wrote, the famous one, Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. There is a famous book written by Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. And there are others as well beyond that. But that is the famous one where he talks about some of the principles of the religion. So that is Imam Abu Hanifa. And we can see that Imam Abu Hanifa was a great scholar, praised by other scholars. One final point we want to mention about Imam Abu Hanifa is what was his عقيدة. Of course, when we study Tahawiyyah, Tahawiyah is the عقيدة of Imam Abu Hanifa. That's why we're talking about the biography of Imam Abu Hanifa now. Because when we study al-Tahawiyah, Tahawiyyah, that is the عقيدة of Imam Abu Hanifa. So his عقيدة, as we will come to see, was the عقيدة of Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jamaah al aqeedah al-tahawiyah is the aqeedah of Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah. I know that causes a lot of problems for people. The people who oppose the Salafis, etc. Those people, they say the Salafis don't accept al aqeedah al-tahawiyah. They don't accept al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Are we going to sit here and give a one-hour lecture praising al-Imam Abu Hanifa and we don't accept him? Are we going to study the books of Aqeedah, which are Aqeedah of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam al tahawi Al-Hanafi, we don't accept any of it? We accept it. So how come then? What's going on? What's going on, you will see, is that people have not understood this Aqeedah properly. And how are you going to understand this Aqeedah properly, if you do not study it from the sources People, they come along and they read a book or two here and there, they say, we've understood the Aqeedah Tahawiyyah. And this is the Aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah. And they make up all types of things, which is not from the Aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah. They reject the names and attributes of Allah, and they say, Tahawiyyah said that. al Tahawi did not say those things. He did not reject the names and attributes of Allah. Al-Imam al tahawiyah as you're going to see in this book, talks about Allah being above, high. Allah is the Most High. Why do you always say, SubhanAllah, Subhanahu Wa... Ta'ala, why do you say that? And then every time when you ask them, they say, no, no, we can't say Allah is above and above. the Allah is just everywhere or just don't talk about it. Don't talk about it every time you mention Allah, you say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does ta'ala mean? The most high. Why do you say that then? They all say it. Why do you say it if you don't believe Allah is the most high above the creation and you want to believe Allah is everywhere? How do you believe Allah is everywhere? Allah is Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, the Most High. So we will see all of these things, they are the reality of the Aqeedah of Al Imam Al Tahawi. And the reality of the Aqeedah of Al Imam Abu Hanifa, not the distortions and the deviations the people of innovation want to try and claim was the Aqeedah of Al Imam Abu Hanifa. And they want to try and claim that was the Aqeedah of Al Imam Al Tahawi. We're going to read exactly in Arabic. All of the speech. Because Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, he wrote it in Arabic. We'll read the Arabic aqidah and we'll explain it and translate it. Everything word for word. So you can see exactly what was the Aqeedah of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi. And we'll also therefore understand the aqidah of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Uh, and that this was the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Quickly then, just to round off today then, a quick look at... The biography of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi A quick look at the biography of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi Al-Imam Al-Tahawi he was Abu Ja'far Ahmed ibn Muhammad Abu Ja'far is his Kunya. His name was Ahmed. Ahmed, the son of Muhammad. He was called Ahmed. His father was called Muhammad. That is Al-Imam Al-Tahawi. And he was which nationality from the countries that we know of now? Where was he from, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi? Egypt. Egypt. So he was from Egypt. Al-Imam Al-Tahawi was from Egypt, from a place called... That's why he's known as al-imam al-Tahawi. He was from the place called Tahaa. And that is on the, uh, the, the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. That area of Egypt to the eastern side of Egypt, he was from that area of Egypt. <coughs> he was born in the year 239 Hijri. 239 Hijri. And that is what many of them have said regarding his birth. As for his death, then it is mentioned by most of them that it was 321 Hijri. 321 Hijri. Al-Imam al-Tahawi, he grew up in a house of knowledge. His father was from the people of knowledge, was a scholar. His mother The mother of al-Imam al-Tahawi was actually considered to be from the students of... The mother of al-Imam al-Tahawi was considered to be from the students of... Who did she used to study from? Al-Imam al-Shafi'i. The mother of al-Imam al-Tahawi, it is mentioned that she was from the companions, or meaning from those uh, with al-Imam al-Shafi'i. She used to attend the classes of imam al-Shafi'i. Also, there is his uncle, another famous scholar, his mom's brother, uh, another famous scholar, imam al-Muzani. He has many books as well. You'll find his books also. Uh, وقد استمد ثقافته الأولى من أسرته العلمية ثم صار يختلف إلى حلقات العلم التي كانت تقام في مسجد عمر بن عاص. فحافظ القرآن على أبي زكريا يحبي محمد He memorized the Qur'an at a young age, as did all of the scholars in those days, they used to memorize the Qur'an from a very young age. لَمَّا بَلَغَ سِنَّ الْعِشْرِينَ تَرَكَ قَوْلَهُ الْأَوَّلِ وَتَحَوَّلَ إِلَى مَنْهَجْ أَبِي حَنِيفَ فِي التَّفَقُّهُ وَكَانَ سَبَبُ فِي هَذَا التَّحَوَّلَ جُمْلَةَ أُمُورٍ So his mother was from the students of Imam al-Shafi'i. His mother was from the students of Imam al Shafi'i, which means that he was raised up upon the madhab of Shafi'i, Imam Tahawi. But it mentions when he got to the age of 20, when he was 20 years old, he became Hanafi. He changed and accepted the Hanafi madhab, the way of the Hanafi teachings. So he changed over to that. Why did this change occur? Some of the scholars, they say, because one of his uncles used to read the books of the Hanafis a lot. And so, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi used to come across these books and things and read them, and in the end, he decided, actually, that's better. So maybe that is one of the reasons why he changed over to the Hanafi way of fiqh. And there are other reasons the scholars, they mentioned too. So initially, he was not upon the Hanafi way, but then at the age of 20... He became upon the Hanafi way. And so that is why he, uh, he is known as Al-Imam Al-Tahawi Al-Hanafi. Uh, and he similarly had many great scholars and many great students from his great scholars, the likes of Abu Zura, uh, Abd rahman ibn Amar al-Dimashqi, uh, al rabii ibn Sulayman, Yunus ibn Abd al-Ala. They are all famous names. Again, you'll hear them a lot from the famous scholars. As for the people of knowledge, what did they say about Al-Imam Al-Tahawi? Al-Sam'ani, for example, he said, Imam Al-Tahawi was an imam. He was thiqah, thabt, absolutely reliable and trustworthy, a faqih. person of fiqh. So again, he was somebody of great knowledge also. He actually wrote several books. يعد, الْإِمَامَ Al-Tahawi al He was known as one of the most able people in writing books, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi. And he wrote several different books and the one that we're obviously going to look at is the Aqeedah of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, the book in Al-Aqeedah. That book in Al-Aqeedah actually, and many people won't know this, but it's only a summary of Aqeedah, it's not a detailed book. It is not actually considered as one of the big detailed books of Aqeedah. Even though many people out there, they say our Aqeedah is the Aqeedah of Imam Al-Tahawi, that's it. As though that is the ultimate book. It isn't. The book of Imam Al-Tahawi is actually a small summarized version of Aqeedah. Not every single thing is mentioned in there. But it is reasonably comprehensive, covers the main points. So that is the book that we're going to look at. One final point to mention today is Ibn Abil Izz Al-Hanafi. He is another great scholar another hanafi scholar ibn abil izz al hanafi he did the explanation of the book of al imam al tahawi that explanation is the one that we're going to use of abul hasan ali ibn alauddin ali ibn shamsuddin uh, abi abdillah muhammad ibn al-Din, abul barakat muhammad ibn izzuddin abul izz صالح ابن أبي العز ابن وهب ابن عطاء ابن جبير ابن جابر ابن وهب الأذرعي الأصل الدمشقي الصالحي hanafi so he was from Damascus. ibn abil عز he was Hanafi as you can see in his biography in all of the biographies the scholars have mentioned he was from Damascus and he was Hanafi. nowadays people they try to say to you that uh, ibn abil iz wasn't Hanafi why do they want to say that even though in his biography everywhere it tells you he was Hanafi why do they want to exclude him from being Hanafi very simple reason because his explanation of al aqida al tahawiyyah is one of the good legitimate excellent explanations which explains the real meaning the proper understanding of the aqida of al imam al tahawi which actually happens to be the aqeedah of Ahl-Sunnah, not the aqeedah of the people of deviation. So now the people of deviation, who want to try and misinterpret at Tahawiyah for their own reasons, can't do it with the explanation of Ibn abil Al-Hanafi, because his explanation is actually very good, and it explains it properly upon the way of Ahl-Sunnah. So now what can they do? The only thing they can do is say that Ibn abil Iz he wasn't Hanafi. So then there are people who won't get confused. Why is the Hanafi scholar explaining the Aqeedah the way that the Salafis explain it? And this one's a Hanafi scholar. And the author Al-Imam Al-Tahawi is Hanafi as well. And the Aqeedah is of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa where Hanafi began. Everything is Hanafi. So how come the Salafis can take this Aqeedah? So now to explain it, the only way they can do it is to say to everybody, Ibn Abi'l-Is wasn't Hanafi, He he wasn't Hanafi. Go to his biography everywhere, they tell you he was Hanafi. But now all of a sudden they want to strip him. Strip that title away from him, he's not Hanafi anymore. So that they don't have to explain to people why his explanation is the true and good explanation of the Aqeedah of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi. They want to use other explanations that have deviations in them. So anyway, we're not going to listen to any of that. Ibn Abil-Izz is Hanafi. Al-Imam Al-Tahawi is Hanafi. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa is Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. And so that is what we're going to study then, that is the introductions done. From next lesson, we're going to start the beginning first page of Al Aqeedah Al tahawiyyah and you'll be able to see for yourself the exact words of Al Imam Al Tahawi. Not my words or anybody else's words. I'm not going to tell you this is the correct Aqeedah. We're going to see what Al Imam Al Tahawi says is the correct Aqeedah. And we'll see if that is different to the, what the Salafis Ahlul Sunnah say, or we'll see if that matches what the people of innovation say. The words of Al Imam Al tahawi so inshallah, next session we're going to start the first page of this aqidah. But that next session, uh, it's going to be in, uh, in a while. For two weeks I'm going to be away. For the next two Sundays I'm away, inshallah, abroad. So the class is going to resume in three weeks' time. Which is I think February 25th, I think. February 25th. That's going to be the next class. There may be some other classes in the meantime. Uh, there may be some other classes, inshaAllah. Uh, another one of the brothers will come and do some other classes, some other topics in the meantime. So classes will still be on, inshaAllah. But we'll carry on with this, the first page of Al-Aqidah, Al-Tahawiyyah, from February 25th, inshaAllah, in three Sundays time. So we'll conclude from that tonight then. wa sallam wa sahbihi